0: So today, as we jump back into our series in Galatians, we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 4, and I want to slow down a bit, but I want to focus on one key to you living ascending lifestyle, one key for us to developing a ascending culture. And that key is your heart. My heart, your heart. And specifically, overcoming the idols in our heart that hold us back from living sent lives in ways that we don't even, we don't even realize. So over the last couple of weeks, this is a confession of sorts. I've been long. I've been kind of complex. What we've been looking at is weighty. By the way, I have a a, a, a wonderful gift. I I think it's from God of making the simple complex. (laughs) And you have been very patient. Uh, So today, I I, want to change that some. And I want to focus on a smaller bite. I want to focus just on uh, one main issue. And we're going to do that by zeroing zeroing in on Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 through verse 11. And let me just say that all of us who preach are heavily, highly influenced in wonderful ways uh, by people around us, professors we had in grad school, uh, commentators who write these wonderful commentaries on the book of Galatians, other preachers and other pastors. And today, I have been really helped by Pastor Tim Keller in New York City and just want you to know that. So let's read beginning in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, now this was before the Galatians came to Christ, you were, notice this language, slaves to those who are by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Now, now that's part of the Old Testament ceremonial law and the false teachers had come into Galatia and said, no, you're not saved by grace, man. You're saved by believing in Jesus and obeying the Old Testament law. And Paul is saying, what in the world? You're moving back into slavery. You just left it. And then look what he says emphatically in verse 11. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now we're going to talk about the heart today from this passage. And I know that Paul doesn't mention the word heart. But let me trace this out. In verse 8, when he talks about the idolatry these Gentile believers uh, were enslaved to before he came to Christ. And then in verses 9 and 10, the idolatry they're rushing toward by denying salvation by grace alone... And emphasizing a merit and human achievement and obeying the law. And then in verse 11, when Paul discusses or expresses his disgust. and what they're doing, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about idols. You've moved from one form of idolatry to another. And what is idolatry if it's not an issue of a, the heart? So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the the problem of idolatry. I'll be long on that, that first piece, and then we'll go to the solution. So let's begin in verse 8. Notice what Paul says. He says it so strongly that Paul says idolatry enslaves you. And it enslaves you worse to things that are not God's. No God's, non-God's, not God's. Then in verse 9, if you look at the language, he says the same thing about these not-gods differently. He calls them weak and miserable forces. And if you back up a couple verses to verse 3, there these non-gods are called elemental spiritual forces. All of that language is reference to idols. To idols. Now in the Greek, first century world. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures in just a second. Uh, idols were God and goddesses by the hundreds by the thousands that a farmer say or a soldier or a sailor or a young woman would sacrifice to. The farmer in order to receive crops. The soldiers to be protected in battle. The sailor to uh, sail the seas and calm seas. Uh, the young woman Uh, to find a husband and to have lots of children, including male children. Now, sometimes these first century idols were made of stone. Sometimes they were made of wood. But sometimes they were just any basic thing, like the mountains or sunshine or rain or the emperor, or on and on and on. All things could be treated as God's. And along with that came in the first century world rampant, I mean rampant immorality, especially sexual immorality, especially in the idol temples. So look at this picture. This is the, uh, uh, we're going to put up, this is the goddess Artemis, either IS or, or US. Now Artemis was a Greek god he had a Roman counterpart, but she was the Greek god of the hunt, of animals, of uh, um, agriculture and fertility and a lot of other things, a goddess, a goddess. Now look at this next picture. These are the ruins of an idol temple in Greece, dating back about twenty. 400 years. So the farmer, let's say, would grab the goddess and go into the temple and worship and all sorts of crazy unmentionable things would happen. And what I want to do is I want to call this 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 morning irreligion. And the reason I want to call it irreligion is because it wasn't a belief in one supreme God who was sovereign over you that you submitted to in all areas of your life. No, was you using a bunch of multiple gods or goddesses for different periods of time for your own selfish ends, for what you wanted? And so it was moral relativism, irreligion and relativism. And Paul says in verse 8, these are non-gods, they're not gods. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand if you're trying to uh, check out Christianity. Paul is not putting these people down. This is not an arrogant put-down. Paul is not calling these people primitive. The Bible never does any of that. Rather, he's arguing that the gospel is of a whole different category because it's God coming to us in Jesus Christ. Now that's verse 8. Let's go on to verses 9 and 10. Here Paul gets even more surprising because what he's telling the Galatians, Galatians hey, you're just going from, you're going from the bondage of your religion to the bondage of religion because you're moving to a, 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 a avoiding God by focusing on your performance. We do this all the time today. We judge ourselves by our performance. That's exactly what was going on here. And so Paul says to these Galatians, hey man, if you're believing these false teachers, that it's not salvation uh, by faith, but it's salvation by obeying the law plus faith. And that's why he mentions in verse 10, you know, these days, these months, these seasons. Then what Paul is saying is that is just as enslaving as where you were, what you've come from. It's another form of idolatry. It's another form of you making idols. Uh, but it's the idols in verses 9 and 10 of your good deeds, of your performance, of, of your works. So we have in verse 8, as I just said, idolatry by uh, irreligion, and now in verses 9 and 10, it's by religion. And let me just say parenthetically, the latter is much worse than the former because you don't detect it because you think you're living a moral life and that's what we all should do. And you don't understand the idolatry. So let me raise an important question. What is an idol? Let me give you a definition of an idol. An idol is anything that occupies uh, your heart in place of God. Another way to say it is, is anything you believe is essential or necessary, absolute for your own happiness. Idolatry is uh, what you say I can't live without. I've got to have to be happy. And you don't realize it, but, it, but it's a, an idol. Now, idols can be surface things like uh, a home or getting married or your children or your car or drugs or alcohol, uh, all sorts of things. But idols are also deep things like control. You have to be in control. Or approval, you have to have approval or security or significance are on and on. There are surface idols and there are deep idols. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, one of the central teachings of the Bible is that idolatry in all forms must be rejected. I mean, think about the first two of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, 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 you shall not make any image and bow down to it. The first two of the ten are all about idolatry. And the reality is, according to that sequence, you will never ever get to the next eight of the Ten Commandments unless you face the idols in your heart. And that's the Old Testament. And then when we come to the New Testament, uh, Paul and others talk a-, a lot about the idols of our hearts. And that's what we see going on here. So if success, true love, wealth is something you think you have to have because without it you won't be happy, it's an idol. It's an idol. An idol is anything that occupies your heart in place of God. We all have them. I have mine, you have yours. And what I want you to see is it was a problem for the Galatians before they came to Christ and it was a problem for the Galatians after they came to Christ. Now let me take this a step further. And I want you to follow this because this gets very fascinating. When Paul is talking about idolatry in verses 9 and 10, and how do we know he's talking about idolatry? Because he's talking about forces. Weak, miserable forces. He's talking about the demons behind the deities. But when he talks about these idols of obeying the Old Testament law, what I want you to get is there is nothing inherently wrong with the Old Testament law. There's nothing inherently evil about the Ten Commandments. There's nothing inherently evil uh, about these days, these months, and these seasons. It's just that the Galatians, as for all of Israel, uh, misunderstood that they don't save us. The law doesn't save us. Living by the Ten Commandments doesn't save us. These months, days, seasons don't. So what does that mean for idolatry? Well, that means that idolatry isn't just occupying your heart with evil things, now that can happen, but it's making good things ultimate things. I have to have them or I won't be happy. And for the Galatians, it was misunderstanding the role of the law. Now let me trace this out a little and give some illustrations. Uh, Didn't the idol of significance lead Cain to kill Abel? Didn't the idols, and here sometimes we see idols in clusters in our lives, didn't the cluster of idols of uh, sex and power uh, lead Solomon into corruption waste and dishonor i mean didn't the idol of approval lead peter to deny christ idolatry is a good thing made an ultimate thing it's your desires out of control and what paul is saying regardless of what they are they enslave you they put you in bondage and what you overinflate, what you overweight in your heart becomes a deity, and behind that is a demon. And you're thinking, well, I'm living a moral life. But it's all about you. So, another way to, to say this is that um, idolatry isn't usually a normal desire for an evil thing. I mean, most of the time, it certainly can be. And that makes our headlines. It isn't, idolatry isn't usually a normal desire for an evil thing, but it's an a over-desire for a good thing. And you make it an ultimate thing. So let me talk to you parents about this. I mean, this is something I've wrestled with all my life. And wrestled, not necessarily always been Successful. Baronda and I sit on top of this small community of seven kids. And five are married, and we have five grandkids. And we love our kids. We love our grandkids. We always have. And so we as parents want our kids to be happy, right? We want our kids to succeed. But sometimes what happens in parenting is that good desire becomes an over-desire. And our lives become ruled by our kids' happiness and our kids' potential for success. And it consumes us. And along the way, and it's a subtle thing, and for each of us it's different, um, you know, our ability to enjoy Sabbath goes away, our ability to linger in the Word and to prayer, really um, really gets clobbered. Our ability to participate meaningfully in community, in, in the church, all um, over time is subservient, subservient to our kids' schedule. Now, Now, you parents, each of us are going to plot this a little differently. But I want you to talk about, I want you to wrestle with uh, when does a good desire for these things in our kids begin to leak over and become an over-desire and you're actually making your kids' happiness and your kids' success an idol? Okay, will you think about that? Now, the same is true with your job. Or the same is true with your need of approval from your parents or your spouse or, or, or your Friends. And that's a good thing, but when that desire becomes an over-desire, man, look out, because Satan is an expert in light of our sinful hearts, the blindness, I should say, of our sinful hearts, to come along and and give us good things and, and then begin to nudge us so that good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And Paul's language is, then you are in bondage. Because something other than God is occupying center in your heart. Now let me, let me illustrate this again. A, a couple more illustrations. Let's say you're wrestling with a sin in your life. You know it's a sin and you can't shake it. You want to resist but you just don't. And let's say that sin is bitterness or resentment. Uh, a, a situation happened. Or a... a a, a, a person mistreated you or um, let you down, and you know that it, it, it's been months or maybe even years, and and you know that you shouldn't be bitter, but you just can't shake it. Now, there's lots of things I could say about that, but one of the things I want you to understand in light of this subject of idols is that the reason for your bitterness isn't merely what happened to you, it's what your heart makes out of what happened to you. How big a deal your heart makes out of it. And if you inflate it, if you overweight that injustice, whatever happened, then you will continue to struggle with bitterness and you won't be able to shake it because it's overweighted in your heart. We could talk about that in a lot of different areas, but let me talk about guilt. Now instead of what somebody did to you, this is what uh, something you have done. And, and it eats you. And it's like a, a, a gray, dark day for you. And what do you want to do? You want to demote it. You want to dethrone it. Now what what does that mean? Well again what it means is you're struggling with guilt not just because of what you did but because of the big deal your heart's making out of it. And some way along the way you have confused God's infinite, endless, eternal mercy with your finite, little, puny sin in light of eternity. And your heart has made an idol out of your performance. And it suffocates you with guilt. Paul says it's a non-God. It's a not God. Don't let it enslave you. Now, let's go back to the Galatians and another illustration. When you think by by the quality of your life you can somehow merit heaven or justify your existence, then you are making an idol out of your ability to live a good life. And it's a non God, it doesn't work. It's part of the spiritual forces of darkness. elemental spiritual principles the language Paul's using and it's a blatant denial of the gospel that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone what Jesus Christ did on the cross what he did when he was raised from the dead and I wonder and I want you to think about this would Paul say of you I'm wasting my efforts I fear Uh, this performance orientation is deadly. Now, do you see how this relates to sending? This is in the context of sending. As John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. And if we don't understand this, if we don't understand that there's a life and death battle ranging in our hearts over who's going to be the center of our lives and what we're going to worship, what we're going to give ourselves to, what we're going to value, and if we don't enter into that battle and engage with our idols, then you know what will happen? We will not live sent lives. Because we value the idol of comfort, the idol of convenience, the idol of approval, whatever it is. And even when we do go, when we do feel sent, often it's just temporary. Often it's self-serving. It's tainted. My dream is here at Wheaton Bible Church, this is why we rolled out these values, is that we will build a pervasive sending culture, that we will rejoice in the fact that God is sending us into the world, and I want you to understand the idols in your heart are the biggest barrier to developing that lifestyle, that culture. And Paul's wondering, have I wasted my efforts? So what's the solution? Well, the solution is embedded in verse 9, the first part of verse 9. Look at it with me. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God. Now Paul is saying two things. He's saying to the Galatians, hey, you guys know God. You've come to Christ. And second, he says, and you are known by God. Now did you see the two words, but rather in between? It's a rhetorical way of saying as important as the first reality is that you know God. The second reality, you are known by God, is way more important. It's like me saying to my my son Ryan, Ryan, I am thrilled that you're graduating from college, but rather that you have a job. <laughs> it, it, it's a way to emphasize. Now, Paul isn't saying you don't really know God. He says, no, you do know God. But he's, what's, what he's saying is what's primary is that God knows you, God loves you, that God has chosen you, that he has forgiven you. This is what makes you and me Christians, that God has put his grace on us. And he is full of eternal love for us. This is how you and I deal with idols. It's right here in verse 9. It's not by trying harder. It's by seeing the supremacy of Jesus' love for us, that he knows us, and seeing that that love is infinitely better than anything. I mean, think about it. Does money, does power, does a, a new house, a, a new car, uh, your, your kids' performance bring unconditional forgiveness to you? Uh, does it fill you with eternal love and and unending joy and peace and contentment. No. Only Jesus does that. And the only way you, will, you and I will stop, uh, and Chris talked about this, the lies of these idols. And the lie is, hey, follow me and I will make you happy. The only way we're going to obliterate that is by pressing back and saying no. No. To the idols in our hearts, and saying, "You overpromise and you underdeliver, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I am known by God. What's greater than uh, God's love for me? And deep, abiding happiness is never, ever found in creation. Uh, creation points to it. It's always found in the Creator." I am known by God, Paul says. So, as the Bible teaches, God, it's resting in the knowledge that God holds you by his right hand. He also, the Bible also tells us that he holds you by your right hand, that he has you in the palm of his hand. That he has ordained all your days, every single one of them. That his banner over you is love. And as Isaiah 54 verse 5 says, your maker is your husband. I mean, think about that. To be a Christian is to have God as our husband. Talk about depth of love, intimacy, the presence of the spirit in our lives. The Bible tells us if you know Jesus Christ, he is your shepherd. He is your prince of peace. He is your wonderful counselor. He calls every star by name. He knows every hair on your head. And his name is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Praise God. So why? Why do we pursue things that are not God's? And so when you're home with your families, or your, your, your family, your friends, your Your spouse, or you're in your small group, man, unpack this. Talk about your idols. Ask people to hold you accountable. Because the way we work the gospel of God's love through Jesus Christ into our hearts is not, now hear me, is not by listening to our hearts. Because our hearts scream for idols, they're sinful, they're fallen. It's by speaking truth into our hearts, it's by talking to our hearts truth like, God has forgiven all my sins, He heals all my diseases, He redeems my life from the pit, He satisfies my years with good things, He crowns me with love and compassion. I'm known by God. And when your heart is filled with the gospel, then you will overcome the downward pull of idolatry. And the result will be we will live sent lives. We will develop ascending culture. And it starts right in here. It starts with facing, naming, and dealing with our idols. Okay? Let's pray. So, Father, as we uh, turn from your word to worship, we ask that you would, I ask that you would drive these truths into our hearts. We can't do this on our own, we're not up to this. Would you give us that grace?